Morning, Saints. All right, please open your Bibles to Luke 12, 35 through 48. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 871. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is a translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Also, we have it up on the overhead. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and will have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this. That if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. So also you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say, to you, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did know, did not know, and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be acquired. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. May God bless our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. O Lord our God, I do ask that you would add your blessing not only to the reading but also the proclamation of your word. I pray that uh, you would lift up Christ in our hearts. We ask in his name. Amen. So the overriding point of this sermon is that Jesus is personally and physically returning from heaven one day. Uh, At an hour which no one knows, Jesus will return in a similar fashion to the way in which he ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, we hear his ascension described. And so we read, "And And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. Into heaven. Now, the major difference uh, between his ascension up into heaven and his physical return will be the number of people who who will be aware. At his ascension, handful of disciples, couple of angels 
were there to uh, witness him being taken up uh, upon a cloud. At his second coming, it will not be noticed by so few. Uh, Everyone will be aware that the Lord Jesus has returned. In the context of encouraging believers who are grieving the death of loved ones, the Apostle Paul gave the Christians in Thessalonica a brief outline of Christ's second coming in chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, he said, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then he says, encourage one another with these words. It's very very appropriate to read this passage this week, seeing how death has been active in our little community. Everyone who dies in Christ will be reunited with their soul and it will rise from their grave in a new and glorious body to meet their Lord in the clouds. Believers who have not yet died will then rise to join them so that we can all return with the Lord to a new heaven and a new earth. Now, because there are so many theories about the second coming, I suppose I should give my view uh, very briefly. Jesus will come back at the end of history. That's it. (laughs) Pretty simple. In Jewish culture, it was customary to meet important guests at the roadside uh, and then escort them back into your home. Uh, Because they were uh, important, you should be expecting them. You kept watch on their coming. That's why the dead in Christ and believers are caught up uh, together in the clouds with the Lord. It's like we're leaving our home, going out to the road, up in the clouds, so to speak, meeting our Lord, and then coming back with Him. Um, but there will be a twist. While we are with the Lord, welcoming him back, before we escort him back, the present heavens and earth will be destroyed by fire. We will return to a new heavens and new earth, wherein Christ will then commence the judgment day uh, with the um, unbelievers and the wicked on his left. No offense to you guys on this side of the the congregation. (laughs) And the righteous sheep on the right. We read about that in Matthew chapter 25. Second Peter 3 talks about his second coming when Peter says, 
the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it on it will be exposed. We're talking about the second coming of the Lord. When will he return? By definition, I cannot answer that. Jesus says that no person knows the day or the hour of his return. And so I think what's happening here is God is saying he will not allow us to pinpoint within an hour or a day or a week, or a month, or a year, or a decade, even a century, when Christ will return. He says time and again that it is going to be a surprise. We are to be ready no matter when he returns. Could it be today? Very possibly. The word Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We're to pray for his speedy return. Will it be today? I don't know. I hope it will. Will it be during our lifetimes? I don't know. Will it be during our children's children's lifetime? I don't know. It'll be a surprise. The point of these three short parables that Jesus gives us in our passage is to tell us to be ready for his return. We must not be caught unaware or unprepared. So then the question is, how can, we, how can we prepare? Well, in preparing for his return, we have one priority above all the rest. We must have a right relationship with God. Nothing else matters if you are estranged from your creator. All of history revolves around God sending his Son into our world. Jesus lived a perfect life to do what our first father, Adam, did not do. Adam disobeyed God. Jesus came and lived a perfect life that Adam forfeited by his disobedience so that he would then be, uh, be qualified to be the Lamb of God that spotless lamb who would go to the cross and die for our sins. In other words, Christ came here to earth the first time to reconcile us to God. And so that must be your priority, to be reconciled to God. Eternity is long. Life is short. Being reconciled to God. Having your sins forgiven. Uh, gaining eternal life. Having an assurance of salvation. What could be more important than that? In our passage, Jesus is still preaching that sermon that started way back in Luke chapter 11, verse 14. You'll remember, he preached through the morning. He took a little break for lunch, had the confrontation with the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Uh, he instructed then his disciples uh, on his way back from lunch. 
Then he continued to preach. And while he was preaching, he would instruct his disciples and then talk to the crowd. Um, By the time we come to our passage, the commentators uh, cannot figure out whether Jesus is talking in verses um, 35 through 48 to his disciples or whether he's talking to the crowds. In fact, Peter and the other disciples, they don't know who he's addressing. Peter has to to, uh, ask him in verse 41, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And Jesus told his disciples um, in verses 33 and 34, if you'll remember, as he was teaching them not to worry. He told them in verses 33 and 34 not to cling to earthly possessions because where their treasure was, there their what would be also. Their hearts would be also. So in verse 35, as we come to our passage, Jesus gave another reason uh, not to cling to worldly treasures. He said he would come at an hour that no one knows. Too great an attachment to your stuff, to your possessions, to the goal of gaining more wealth. Those things will encumber you. It will take your gaze off of Christ. It will cause you, therefore, to be less ready for his return. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned how I had been watching some some of the uh, TV shows based around English society structures of the 18th and 19th centuries, and it's helped helped me in my preaching, frankly. Plus, it's gotten me some great uh, great advice on other shows like Poldark. I, I appreciate that uh, recommendation. Um, these shows are paying me dividends because. It's uh, what, was, what was happening or in the 18th and 19th century in English society. Well, those kinds of structures were also at play in Jesus' day. When the master of the house would go, let's say, well, in, in Jesus' example, to a wedding party or to some societal party, like in the, uh, they would do among the aristocracy of, um, of England, you know, they would go out. The servants would, never, would not know when they would come back. Um, they may not come back at all. I read a biography of Winston Churchill, and it would talk about after these parties, people would retire to their bedrooms, and, and there would be so much traffic between the bedrooms at night that uh, all kinds of children would be born out of wedlock. So um, you, you never knew. If the master of the house went out, whether he would come home during the middle of the night or the next morning uh, or uh, not at all for a couple of days. So um, the household servants were to be aware. They were to be awake. They were to be alert. They were to be in there to use the 18th and 19th century uh, lingo, they would be dressed as their as a butler or as a, in their valet uniform to open the doors to stoke the fire in the in the fireplace 
and to turn down the covers for the master, whether they came in at 3 a.m., 6 a.m., or not at all. And this is a picture of what's happening in Jesus' first parable in verses 35 and 36. Jesus says, as if he's speaking to the servants in the house, stay, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. But then the parable takes an unexpected turn. The master is so happy that the, of, at the faithful pre- preparedness of the servants that he changes into a servant's uniform and serves them. I mean, this is unthinkable. This is even scandalous that the master would change out of his party clothes, put on the, the clothes of a servant, tell the servants in the middle of the night, recline at the table, I'm going to present a spread, uh, a feast before you, and I am going to serve you. What master would serve his servants like that? Well, our Lord Jesus would. In fact, he did. Our Lord Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Well, what does that mean? Paul goes on, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. That's how our Savior Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, the Lord over all creation, serves us. He came here to earth to serve us. He left heaven, the glory, the sinlessness of heaven, to come here and serve us by dying on the cross for sinners like you and me. He clothed himself in the lowly garb of human flesh, all for the purpose of being hated being ridiculed, being unjustly judged, in being beaten, in having those nails um, pressed down into his skull, and then nailed to that awful cross so that he might die for the ungodly, for the wicked, for sinners like us. You know, I ask you this question over and over again. And I ask it again this morning. If you are holding the Lord Jesus at arm's length, if you are remaining unreconciled to God, or simply presuming upon His mercy, why would you not flee to Him right now? He is incomparably good. 
He is unequaled in His grace to sinners. How could anything in your life be more important or more desirable than Him? You don't have to walk an aisle, pray a prayer in front of everybody. You can go to God right now in the silence of your heart. Plead him with Him for forgiveness. Seek Him to be reconciled to God. He says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give rest for your souls. Will you do that right now if you have never done it before? What would hold you back? He's so good. More desirable than anything this world has to offer. So the point of this parable is found in verse 38. It's also the point of the very short parable found in verses 39 and 40. Basically, Jesus is telling us we must be ready for his sudden and surprising return. And if you are not reconciled to God, by definition, you are not ready for his return. So look at verses 38 through 40. Oh, and I didn't read the second half of verse 37. And it's so beautiful that I'll read it as well, even though I've already talked about it. Truly, I say to you, he, talking about the master, will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. Then verses 38 through 40. And if he comes in the... And if he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, so he switches the parable a bit. If he, know, if he had known, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken to, broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man uh, is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, how can you prepare yourselves to be ready? Well, you've reconciled yourselves to God. What else must you do? Well, that's the point of his third parable here in verses 41 through 48. We make ourselves ready by being about our master's business faithfully and wisely, using our time, using our talents, using our treasure for Christ's kingdom. We are to be wise stewards, like the head butler in an 18th century English mansion. You know, he was the, the, the master over all the servants. And so we are to serve Christ and bring him glory by lovingly serving our neighbor. Listen to verses 41 through 44, and you'll hear Peter's question again. Lord, who are you talking to? Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the wise and the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions.
I trust that this will not be a surprise to you, but you are not master over your own life. We are simply stewards of God's grace to us. Our time, our talents, our wealth, uh, our gifts, our family, even our dreams and desires do not belong only to us. We're stewards over what God has given us. We belong to God. Therefore, we are to use the life that he has given us to serve him wisely and faithfully. And there's some good news. There's a reward for you who are wise and faithful stewards over God's blessing. Look again at verse 44. It bears reading again. Truly I say to you, he being the master will set him over all his possessions. You know, I'm reminded of Joseph. Joseph sought to be faithful to God everywhere he placed him. You know, he bloomed wherever he was planted. In slavery, he bloomed. He served God first and foremost. Then he, but then he got thrown in jail. He served God first and foremost. Then he was taken out of jail and put in power over all of Egypt. But again, he served God first and foremost. And God continued to place over him more and more. What could be even greater than serving over all of Egypt? Well, he even became responsible over his entire family. He saved his family from certain death during the famine. And God fulfilled the dream that God had given Joseph at a young age. Even his father, mother, all his brothers and his sister would bow down before him. See, there's a spiritual principle at work here. If you are wise and faithful in serving God, he's going to give you more responsibility in his kingdom. If you are new to the church, get involved. Use your gifts and talents for the Lord, even if it's small. He'll open up other doors uh, of service and blessing to you. Not only that, You'll get to serve side by side with other great Christians here in the in the uh, in in the in the congregation. You know the, the meals on wheels, serving side by side in that little group, such a blessing. Um, and the choir, another blessing. You know, but God will open up opportunities. Serve in the little things, and. He'll open up other opportunities for you. So ladies, if you're new to the church, attend the the, the Bible studies that we have. Or I heard an announcement about the the women's retreat, you know, a little mini retreat. Go to the the women's retreat or join the prayer chain. Small things with little content, with little commitment. Um, But as you're faithful to these things, other avenues of service will become evident. Men, volunteer to read the scripture before the sermon. Small little task. People get to know you if, you haven't, if you're new to the church. They'll see you in front of the camera, uh, out there in the, 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 on the World Wide Web, and people who haven't been able to attend will say, Who 
is that? I need to get to know that person. Or you can hand out bulletins in, uh, in the narthex before service. Small little task. And you're faithful in those things. And God will give you more opportunities to serve him. He'll increase your opportunities. Again, I say this, that this is a spiritual principle that Jesus is laying out for us here. And God will use your service to not only help you grow in more service, but he will also help you grow in Christ. And even best of all, as uh, Jesus is talking here about being ready, you'll be always prepared to meet him when he returns. But now, we're not always faithful as we should be. If you're unfaithful in your service, service to Christ, Jesus says he's going to be displeased. And he's not talking about non-Christians here. Listen closely to verses 45 through 48. It's a difficult passage to embrace, but embrace it we must. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, The master of that servant will come in a day when he does not expect him and in an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to, to whom they have entrusted much, they will demand more. You know, there are believers who are always saying, Tomorrow I will be more faithful to Christ. Tomorrow I will get serious about my service. Tomorrow I will repent of this or that sinful practice. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. For people like that, tomorrow never seems to arrive. Love of money causes a lot of Christians to say tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. What does it mean in this passage for a Christian to be cut in pieces or to be beaten severely? Rest assured, Jesus is talking metaphorically to get our attention. He has a way of doing that. And he certainly has gotten my attention as as I read this this week. But he is saying... Here, not that he's going to cut us in pieces or he's going to beat us with a whip. He's saying that he will discipline us here in this life and we will lose rewards in the next life if we are uh, negligent servants rather than being faithful and wise and serving our master with what he is giving us and serving our neighbor as ourselves. What does it mean to gain or lose rewards in heaven? I'm going to defer to Jimbo on that subject. 
Uh, he taught a little Bible study a few months back to a, a few of us on that subject, and and I thought, yeah, that's that's exactly right. So in the interest of time, I'm deferring to Jimbo. You can ask him. Maybe I'll have him preach on that subject sometime in the future. Uh, the discipline Jesus is saying here, verse 48, makes it very clear. The discipline will be greater for those who are leaders. That's the reason for the contrast in verse 48, um, where he says, But the one who did not know and did what was deserving a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. You know, teachers and leaders among God's people have greater responsibility. Therefore, they, or I should say, uh, I, as a pastor, will be held to greater account. Uh, I've been trembling at this passage all week. And there's much more I'd like to say about this passage, but I'm bringing it to a close nonetheless. Being ready for Christ's return means being reconciled to God and serving him faithfully in this world. Christ, your Savior, is a forgiving and merciful and gracious master. Flee to him for his forgiveness. For who among us has ever one day served him wholeheartedly and wisely and faithfully as we should? So I close by asking, are you ready to meet him if he comes today as we pray together? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a good, wonderful, and uh, incomparable master. What master would strip himself of his party clothes to put on the the, the lowly rags and robes of a servant in order to serve his servants who have given themselves to serve him. Lord, we thank you for your salvation that you have given us free of charge, wholly undeserved. Lord, now help us by your grace give ourselves to you uh, holy and without reserve, in order that we might serve you wisely and faithfully in your kingdom and bring you glory and honor, we ask in, in your name. Amen.